A little over five and a half years ago, I, I stood up here and I, I preached through what was my, my second sermon series here at Westminster. The first was during Advent, and Advent counts, but, but Advent kind of has some baked in themes. You can only go so far. When you're talking about Advent and it was, it was January. We, we kicked off the year. I was excited to say, all right, here we go. And, and, and we're going to preach through our core values. I looked through the, the, the core values that the church had had for, for quite some time. Some of you may remember them that we as a church longed to be an inviting church, a caring church, a learning church, a worshiping church, a gift evoking church. Over the last five years, the, the terms that we've used for those values, for our vision, they've, they've changed a little bit, and the world around us has definitely changed. I saw a, a meme this morning um, that was kind of a joke. A meme is, is something that's a, a picture, and it's intended to be a, a joke. Right, Brandon? I told you I'm going to keep you awake this morning. Um, and it's, it's pastoring over the last five years. And it said the pastor's 22 years old, and it was a picture of an 80-year-old man. Over times, over the last five years, the world has definitely changed. But our call as followers of Christ hasn't. The world has changed, but our call is the same. Today, we say as a church that we exist to invite all people to follow Jesus on a journey of faith, friendship, and service. And we're going to spend some time over the next uh, six weeks or so unpacking the first, sorry for this, it's one of those mornings, unpacking the first three words in that statement. What does it mean to invite all people? Inviting all people, it's exactly what our founding pastor, Bob Boss, did nearly 55 years ago as the city of Westlake Village was developing, and he went door to door, knocking on people's doors and saying, hey, we're starting this new church. We're starting this new church. Why don't you, why don't you come and, and check it out? I think he knocked on the Myers door that day, maybe or that, during that time. Our methods might look different. Again, our, our methods might look different. When we knock on the door today, we might get a different response than we did some 55 years ago. Our, our methods might look different, but the calling or the task or the challenge, it's the same. We, we use different words to describe what we value. But the call, the purpose, it's the same. So the vision, inviting all people to follow Jesus on a journey of faith, friendship, and, and, and service, that is who we are, that is what we do. Our values, they go a step deeper. It's why we do what we do. And if you're on session or, or any sort of strategy, you, you've, you've heard us talk about, um, or any, any sport of leadership, you've heard us talk about our, our strategies, and those strategy, strategies are growing in faith daily, celebrating in worship weekly, serving others at least monthly or as often as possible, and gathering together for church-wide fellowship. That is how, the strategies are the how we follow Jesus on this journey together. 
One of the reasons we're starting this fall with this series is to remind ourselves of our identity, to remind ourselves of our calling, and to get into the specifics of how we can invite other people to join us for the journey. Uh, I talked about both the passages that we were uh, that we're looking at this morning five and a half years ago when I preached through that that series on our our core values. Both of them, both the one that we read earlier and the one that we're about to read from Matthew, are reminders that God's people are called to be hospitable. In all that we do, we are called to welcome people. It's important for us as a church, as we function as a church, and it's important. In your neighborhoods, where you live, that we are called to be a hospitable people. A few years ago, our denomination used the part of Matthew that we're about to open to, Matthew 25, as a base for an initiative that focused on creating effective congregations in today's world. And by the time that we get to verse 31, Jesus had just finished preaching his last sermon in the temple. And he had told his disciples, he had walked out of the temple and he said, all of this, all that you see, it's going to crumble. And when it crumbles, something else is coming. He tells a few parables about how it was impossible to know the time or the place of his return. And then talks about how our present actions impact the future. Starting in verse 31, we read, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, we are having slide issues today and it's on me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Jesus starts with language that that mirrored the Old Testament. It mirrored Old Testament prophecies. It's a picture of worship and majesty but it quickly turns to one of judgment. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from their goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus uses a metaphor here. It's a little bit different than his his parables. And it's something that might make us feel a little uncomfortable. He says, look. All of the nations, all people will be there, everyone. And the king will say, when did you come? Or when did you welcome others? Everyone will be there. And the king will say, when did you welcome others? Whatever you did for them, you did for me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? 
He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago, our our oldest daughter, Ella, she started in sixth grade. How many of you remember starting sixth grade? How many of you were terrified the first day of middle school? How many of you went to middle school in seventh grade was the first day of, of, of middle school? Okay, so sixth, seventh grade. Remember back to that moment. When I dropped her off at school, I had vivid memories of what it was like to walk on campus at Marston Middle School. I was in sixth grade. The eighth graders were huge. The eighth graders were huge and the seventh graders were weird. And so I tried to stay in my, my little group. I, I, I tried and I remember thinking, these kids are huge. Why are there so many buildings? Where am I supposed to go? And, and where in the world are my friends? Haley and I have a friend in San Diego who arrived in the U.S. decades ago as a refugee from Uganda. And he now runs an organization that helps refugees get settled as they come from all over the world. His, his story and the middle school experience put into perspective what it looks like to truly be welcoming. Our friend Walter, I'll I'll never forget a story he told me about a family who arrived at LAX, being picked up at the airport, and then dropped off at an apartment. This family only knew a few English phrases. They didn't know how to shop for food, how to navigate public transit, or how to sign up their kids for school. They they were given a, a liaison, a social worker that walked with them for a year, But then they were on their own. Then they were on their own. He he tells a story of walking into their apartment to visit them and seeing all the food sitting out on the counter because they hadn't used a refrigerator before. They didn't know how to use a refrigerator. It made that discomfort of middle school feel small. While it's not always that extreme... Whether we're talking about somebody who's new to our community, someone who who just doesn't fit in, someone who doesn't agree with us either politically or socially, or someone who doesn't share our beliefs, there are plenty of Oliver the Others in our world. Over over the next 12 weeks or so, you're going to get used to seeing Legos. You're going to get used, Legos, they're, they're a wonderful illustration for real life. So the question that's on our mind today, the question that Jesus asked his first followers is when we see Oliver the other, whether he's in a pink suit or not, a pink pig suit or not, do we recognize them? Do we notice them? Do we see their needs? Do we welcome them? Do we show hospitality? Or are we too busy, too comfortable, too tired, Do we have too many friends already? Are we too dot, dot, dot? The reality is we all have a relational capacity. Do we leave space in our relational capacity to welcome people like Oliver? Whether it's here in Matthew, 
during one of Jesus' last messages to his first followers or in the way that he lived his life. Jesus reminds us over and over again that we are called to be a hospitable people. Earlier, we, we talked about that middle school moment and we all kind of raised our hands and thought, yeah, it was awkward. We didn't really know where or how to fit in. But now I want to invite you to think of a time where you were shown an abundance of hospitality, where you were welcomed more than you could have ever imagined. Can you all think of a time like that where, where you showed up? Maybe it was at a friend's house. Maybe it was in a, a new country. Maybe it was at, at church. Hopefully some of you felt hospitable and welcomed others when they arrived at church. Where were you? Who were you with? What was it that made you feel so welcomed? When Jesus tells his story in Matthew 25, it's, it's pretty direct. There are sheep and there are goats. There are people who will receive the kingdom and people who won't. And it's those who welcome the stranger and who look after the needs of others who will receive the kingdom. Again, his words might be pretty straightforward, but if you're at all like me, they, they, they make you sit a little uncomfortable. He doesn't invite us to create a program, doesn't invite us to, to check a box. He instructs his followers to create a culture of constantly inviting others to join in in community. It's something that's true, again, for our church and in our neighborhoods at home. He starts with the most, the most basic needs of, of food and drink. We're reminded of Jesus standing with the woman at the well and, and starting the conversation with, I'm thirsty, can I have something to drink? As a Jewish man talking to her in that culture, it wasn't at all accepted. He shouldn't have been talking to her. But he doesn't allow the social constructs of his day to get in the way. So it begs the question for us, what's getting in our way? How are we being proactive with addressing the needs of the other? Whether it's literal food or water or something else, a listening ear, a simple favor. Are we making an impact in our world through acts of hospitality? Then he, he moves kind of from those basic needs to another level of need. It's not just about breaking down social barriers. It's welcoming others into our inner circle and visiting outsiders when they're down and out, when they're sick, when they're condemned, when the rest of the world says, ah, put them away. He says, yeah, yeah we're supposed to be different in those moments. Go to them. Visit them. Matthew 25, 31 through 46 is a, a, a call to be proactive. It's an in-your-face reminder that we can't, we can't get complacent. We can't, we can't get too comfortable. In the passage that we read from Jeremiah, it's, it's just as direct. God's people are carried into Babylon, into a world that would have been completely different from what they knew. This time, 
They were the refugees. They were the outsiders. And they are told there to settle down, to work for the peace and prosperity of their captors, of the people who took them away from what they knew. These weren't just new neighbors. The Babylonians weren't just different. They were, they were the enemy. And God carried them or brought them to the enemy and said, work for Shalom there. Shalom is complete well-being. Complete whole well-being. Now, there's a lot that's been said about this passage. In fact, this might be the passage that I've preached through most here at Westminster. It's one of my favorites. Um, There's a lot that we can unpack that applies to us today, but I want to focus on just one part of the narrative this morning. I'm guessing that most of us have found ourselves in a situation where we couldn't help to look forward to what was next, where we, we couldn't help to say, oh, I know this is hard right now, but I can't wait until... What is coming? Maybe you're in one of those places now. Maybe we don't like our neighborhood, our school, our job, a friend group, the season of life we're in, and we're looking forward to next. We're looking forward to getting to whatever it is that is coming. Anything new. That's where the exiles found themselves. And God tells them to not look too far ahead, to build and to keep working right there in Babylon. I imagine there was all kinds of grumbling and complaining. They longed for the comforts of home, for what they they knew. And Jeremiah says, hey, I know you're looking forward to that, but you're not going back. You're, you're, You're not going back and your kids they're probably not going back either maybe their kids will but you've got 70 years so love your neighbors where you are right now don't wait for what's next right now Of course, we're not in Babylonian exile, but many of us struggle in the same way that the exiles did. We miss what the world looked like 30, 40, 50 years ago. It was simpler. Culture wasn't as confusing. People seemed nicer, and everything didn't seem to move quite as fast. Can I get an amen? Right? We we look back and say, oh, it was so good. It was so good before. But the truth is, we don't have to go to 30 to 40 to 50 years ago. We could just look four years ago before COVID. Right? We can just look four years before COVID and say, oh, man, life was great then. Life was great then. But friends, the world has changed. We're not going back. We're not going back. The world has changed, and while we kick and scream or at least passively resist the changes around us, we forget to seek the well-being, the shalom of our neighbors. Which, which brings me back to Oliver. 
Oliver the other. How do we show the others among us hospitality? How do we do it? They'll likely have a background that's different than ours. Born in a different generation. Born in a different part of the world. Have a different sort of family makeup. A different understanding of how the world works. Of what's good and what's not good. And if we take Jeremiah and Matthew seriously, we're called to work for their complete well-being, no matter how different they are. So here are a few suggestions for how we can welcome the Olivers who are in our midst. They all come from a book I read to prepare for the sermon series called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, though I changed the order around a bit. First, remember that every single person Every single person you meet is created in God's image. Every single person you meet is created in God's image. Now, we're all wired differently, right? We're not all like Darv. We're not all like me, thank thank goodness. We're not all like Mike Boozer. We are all wired differently. We have different skills. We We have different weaknesses, But the inherent value of human life isn't found in what a person does or doesn't do. It's not about what we accomplish. The inherent value is found in their identity as an image bearer of the creator of the universe. Every single person is created in God's image. From there we can, we can move on to respecting the reality that our neighbors have. Seeing that it's different from our own. If we want to work for the well-being of our community, our neighbors need to experience genuine acceptance from us. Now, that doesn't mean we just need to kind of blindly accept their lifestyle or to say, hey, how they live out their life. You know, you do you, I'm going to do me. That, that's not what I'm saying. But it does mean we need to acknowledge that we can't fully know what it's like to be them. We haven't experienced their lives. We need to respect that their reality is different from ours. And along those lines, you can pray that you will be a safe person for them. That you will be a safe person for them. I recently read that neighborhoods and communities aren't built over one conversation. I love this word picture, that neighborhoods and communities aren't built over one conversation. They're built over hundreds of conversations. Are you a safe person for Oliver and his friends to have at least one conversation? What about two? Are we a safe church for Oliver and his friends? Now, there's a good chance that our neighbors have had a bad experience or two with a person who claimed to be Christian. What does it look like for us to create a culture where others feel safe, even if they've had a bad experience in church before, with their feelings, their doubts, their concerns, their anger? What does it look like to be that safe person for another person? Celebrate the goodness of others. Nothing will turn away a a person more quickly than pointing out their shortcomings or wrongdoings. Hey, I respect that your reality is different, but you're such a sinner. 
It's a great way to start a conversation. It's a great way to welcome people in, right? I'm hoping you're paying attention and saying, no, Dave, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not our job to point fingers and to judge others. It's our job to feed the hungry, to welcome the stranger, to clothe the needy, and look after the sick. Theologians refer to this concept, this concept of celebrating the goodness in other people as, as recognizing the common grace in others. Being good isn't synonymous with, with being holy. That's not what it means. It's being kind and welcoming and recognizing that there are people who don't share our beliefs who are also working for the shalom of their city. Let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate that. And that means we shouldn't assume that someone who has a different set of beliefs or someone who looks different from us intends to do harm to us. The truth is, the vast majority of the people we encounter in our day-to-day lives aren't out to get us. They're not out to start an argument. They're, They're not out to hurt you. And somehow, we've created a culture where the other is a threat. Where the other is a, is a threat, and so we're all on edge. Let's be a community who sees the goodness in others, and who remembers that each and every person we encounter is made in God's image. No matter how much or how little we share in common with them. So this morning, I want to start us or invite us to to start somewhere and to start today. To start today. My guess is there are people in this sanctuary that you don't know. My guess is there's people that are in this sanctuary. We're going to all stand up and meet one another. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that right now. But I do think you can meet them after church in the fellowship center. That you can go up and say, hey, I know I've seen you in church 15 times, but Pastor Dave told me that it's okay to ask you what your name is. It's 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 okay. Or maybe it's when you get home, have the conversation with the neighbor that you've been putting off. Or maybe it's something bigger. Maybe you have a person in mind. Maybe you have a person in mind right now, and you need to take some time to jot down some notes for how you might actually welcome them. Because they're obviously, like Oliver, they're the other. So take that time today. Go home and jot down how this week you are going to extend hospitality to that person. Start somewhere and and start today. We are called to show an abundance of hospitality. To welcome people like Oliver and to work for their complete well-being. May we be a church that takes our calling seriously. Let's pray. Loving God, help us to see our neighbors. Help us to see the strangers, the others in our midst. To remember that each and every person is created in your image and to continuously work for the shalom of our city. We pray these things in your name. Amen.